Welcome to the Leadership Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Jono White. I'm the founder and principal consultant of Clarity. We are an Australian-based consultancy that works with leaders around the world, and our passion is to invest in people to become everything they're meant to be in order to fill the world with healthy organizations that people love to work for and customers line up to buy from. The goal of this podcast is to invest in you and your leadership. If you're just joining us for the first time, then feel free to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there. The most popular being our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from around the world in all different sectors give their in-depth answers on leadership, what books they love, what they found most challenging, uh, the most meaningful stories, how they how they structure their time through the day. That's free, so go and check it out. And we'd love to interview you about your leadership. I believe you have advice from your experience, your context, and your life so far that is important and can help other leaders. It's also a great way to give back. It's free to get involved, and you can do so by going to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest, or just Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form that pops up. We have a free resource for you on our website. It's called Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook. It has interviews with 10 world-class leaders, and you can go to consultclarity.org. It's right at the top and get that today. Uh, we also have a daily email that we send out to over 15,000 leaders, and that email contains the highlights, our best content from our podcasts, our blog, uh, my book, uh, the books that we're loving that are out there about leadership, it's also the best way to get access to our masterclasses and workshops before anyone else. And there's also exclusive and limited uh, special options just for subscribers. And you can subscribe by going to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe. Now, my gift to you is to work incredibly hard to provide the best leadership content I can to invest in you and your leadership. So if you're finding our content helpful, if you find this podcast helpful, then your gift to me uh, could be this. If you, if you do find it helpful, then write a review or rate our content and make sure you subscribe or follow. I can't emphasize enough how helpful that is. It really does help us to get the word out there so we can invest in more leaders to become everything they're meant to be. It also means a lot to me personally when people like you and people in our community share our content on social media. So if you do that, then please do look for me, Jono White, to tag me and look to tag Clarity uh, on whatever platform you're on. And our team, including me, I'm always looking to see when people have mentioned us so that I can engage with you. And also we look at sharing content. So if you you write something about something we've done, there's also a good chance we'll share that with our followers. So if you could do that, that is a massive, massive help as we try to invest in as many leaders as we can around the world. Last of all, you can check out my book about how to deal with difficult people even if you hate conflict. It's called Step Up or Step Out. It's available on Amazon. You can just look up Step Up or Step Out, John O'White, or you can go to store.consultclarity.org forward slash book and check it out there. I 
have coached leader after leader after leader and in more than 50% of the sessions, this topic comes up. How do I deal with this person? I'm finding it really difficult and, and I just wanna find a way that doesn't blow up to do a really, just to have a difficult conversation, to lead them better. How do I do that? There's a three-step process that I outline in this book that I believe can help you. Okay, let's get into today's episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to another episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Today's guest is Tim Murphy. Tim is the Chief Executive Officer of Boomers Parks. Welcome to the podcast, Tim. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate being here. <clears throat> yeah, I've been looking forward to chatting with you. First of all, tell us a little bit about Boomers Parks. We've got listeners from all around the world um, who may not be familiar with uh, with, with uh, your organization. And also, what do you do as CEO? Sure, sure. Um, <clears throat> Boomers Parks is made up of uh, family entertainment centers, which consists of go-karts, miniature golf, batting cages, arcades, laser tag, food and beverage, uh, and many other things, many other attractions, as well as having uh, some water parks too. So we have six family entertainment centers, Boomers, and we have two water parks called uh, Big Kahunas. Uh, in my role, uh, CEO took over in June 2020 on behalf of private equity. Basically, if I can say it another way, it's they repossessed the parks from a loan that they made to other private equity firms that didn't pay their bill. Um, and uh, we chose eight of the 16 parks that the previous company had. They filed for bankruptcy and we just turned the company around. Uh, the previous company was uh, in a bankruptcy stage. Uh, they had lost $10 million on the eight parks that we have now. And last year, 2021, we were able to do about $8 million profits. And we're shooting wow. for about 13 and a half, 14 million this year. So <clears throat> I love how you said that. And yeah, you know, we, we just turned it around. I, I love sentences like that, that represent, um, you know, <laughs> probably weeks of, uh, stories of, of, of how you've done that. Um, thank you so much for giving, and you know, maybe spite, we can hear a bit of a pandemic in the middle of it. Yeah, that's in spite yeah, of a exactly. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. Um, but, I'm sure we can hear some of those stories yeah. later on, but let's, um, in terms of your story, let's start at, at the beginning. And, and I, I'd love to ask you about your childhood growing up when you were younger, as you reflect on that season of your life, are, are there any moments that come to mind or any themes from that season of your life that, that you look back at, um, that have really shaped you into the person and leader you've become? Um, my dad, um, my goodness, my dad was the best. This is an individual that had a 10th grade education, but he was an entrepreneur and he had a fence business, a welding business, a construction business, grew hydroponic lettuce, cucumbers, tomatoes, uh, well before many others did. Uh, but my mom, she ran a family entertainment center business, a miniature golf arcade and a restaurant. So I think working for both of them got an appreciation for where I am today. I ended up working for Disney for six and a half years after we moved from New Jersey to Florida in Orlando. Um, got to work for the mouse for six and a half years and got to really understand that whole process. But if it wasn't for mom and dad, I probably wouldn't be where I am today. I had an um, inquisitive look at their businesses and always want to know, well, how to do better, how to make more money. Um, good or bad, you know, mom and dad always had good times and bad times, but um, luckily for me, I was the son of uh, uh, four sons, uh, the youngest, and got to enjoy a lot more than I think my older brothers did. 
but I also got the opportunity to work with my mom and dad quite a bit in all those businesses. Mm. And I think it's created that experience of a, or an entrepreneurship where I am today and getting to understand, you know, how to really make things work and tick and why does it work this way? So I think if it wasn't for that, that's what got me into accounting initially in, in uh, college. And then I also went on and got my master's degree in finance, but mm. it was to learn how to run a business better, how to make more money out of a business. Um, yeah. And that's where I am today. I mean, at the end of the day, yeah. I, had, I had financial roles and then ultimately operational roles. So. Yeah. yeah. And it's amazing how often that comes up. And, and um, I'd love to know if, you know, from watching your, your mum and your dad in business, are there any stories that really stand out to you that are imprinted, you know, in your memory from, from a young age of being involved in their businesses of, of how they handled a, a crisis or, or watching how they, um, you know, operated their businesses or any, any particular stories that for some reason are, are really, um, you know, pop into your head? I, I think really more than anything is watching my dad never give up regardless, I mean, this is an individual that had a 10th grade education, really didn't have a financial background. Luckily for mom, she had a high school education and could handle the finances for my dad. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think it's really just how to overcome regardless of the situation. Dad was always someone that would just try to do something and work through it until eventually he figured it out. I think the things that alarm me, which made me go into finance and accounting, was to see how much he gave away to friends, people that really weren't friends that were trying to take advantage of my dad. Um, you know, so you, you, I pay attention to those types of scenarios and you say, yeah, that's something that I don't wanna do. That's something that I don't wanna become like. Maybe dad couldn't understand that by seeing the, he always had the best intentions of all friends. He wanted to be the center of attention for sure, but, and that was my dad. Um, but um, he wanted to be friends with everyone and that, that was a problem in business. You can't. You've always got to dot your I's and cross your T's. And you've really yeah. got to make sure that you've got yourself well positioned and protect yourself, especially like my dad lent money to a lot of people and some people didn't pay them pay him back, of course. So mm. So you, you sort of watched um, and really picked up on that entrepreneurial spirit and and also that, like you said, that resilience in business and in probably in life as well, um, which I can hear your parents obviously had in spades and you and you um but but there was also watching some of the financial elements of it going you know what this is probably one element where i'm looking on and i go i think i think we could have um, probably done more in that or thought more differently about that and that's sort of what what you what drove you into finance as part of business correct correct no i i, mean, I think it was the <clears throat> more towards the end I'm, uh, my brother steve oldest in the family he's 15 years older than me um what went into business with my dad um, growing these hydroponic cucumbers, lettuce, and tomato, tomatoes at the end of their time frame in New Jersey. But he was with other people who didn't really have a business background. And my dad was the finance guy for the business. And, uh, you know, just really dotting your I's, crossing your T's with good contracts, good business agreements. That's something my dad didn't understand too well. He would just sign off on anything, but not necessarily have the, the backing and understanding of what implications this might have down the road. So, you know, seeing that you go, all right, we can do something better with this. And, and, and I, mm. I will say that background of the entrepreneurship with my father, I think got me into so many different good things in life that I always took on more when I worked at Darden restaurants or Disney or others. I always just want to try harder and do more. 
And I think that that resonates when I helped other businesses franchise and I've worked with a, oof, 150 different brands with 10,000 locations. Over time, you just start realizing there's some similarities with what's going on and how do you make them more effective and, and better? And yeah. kind of led me into the role today. So I'm always yeah. questioning, always planning in the back of my head, what's the next steps, maybe three or four steps ahead of some others. But, um, you know, it's it's just because of those different experiences, but it all resonates with mom and dad, I think, at the end of the day. So, yeah, God, yeah. God rest her soul yeah. in heaven. You know, so it's, uh, you know, that's mm. uh, that's I miss them yeah. tremendously. Dad passed away over 10 years ago and my mm. mom passed away during the pandemic, not from the pandemic, but during that time mm. frame. And, you know, you just couldn't be mm. with them. But it's like you, you realize how valuable that was from your childhood. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear, um, particularly around around your mum and and passing away quite recently through the um, yeah in, in recent years. Um, but how how beautiful to hear the impact that they have had um, on on your story. And um, I'd love to ask you around finance because I can imagine our listeners who are all sorts of different leaders, and for many, some of them it's their strength, and many they're probably listening going, yeah, it, it, maybe it's not my, <laughs> maybe it's an area where I, I I could invest more in really dotting my I's and crossing my T's. So I, I'm interested to know, wh- what are you seeing out there from your experience across different companies? If, if you were sitting with one of our listeners who's a leader and you had to say, here's some of the most common things for you with your passion around finance and business and, and looking steps ahead and and, and due diligence and dotting your I's and crossing your T's. Are there any things that you see again and again or patterns that you think most leaders could lock down a bit better or, or, or invest in when it comes to the finance element of leadership? Well, I think, and it's funny, I use it today. Um, I always talk about demographics um, and it's basically knowing your competition, knowing who your, your guests are, your customers are. And I don't think everyone pays attention as much as they should on the competition. What's the competition doing? How do they price their structure? What makes them different? I always say, you know, what makes the company different, the business different? How do we set ourselves apart? How do we stand out? And I don't think others really go out and look at their competition. Um, Where I am today, uh, one of the things I did before taking over this role as CEO was uh, on behalf of the private equity firm Cerberus that I worked for, I went out and looked at not only our locations that we had or potentially going to purchase um, through the stocking horse bid, but also looked at all the competition. I went out and said, what are they doing? How are they spending their dollars? How are they marketing what they're doing? What's their price point? I don't believe a lot of folks do that. When I was in the restaurant industry, I did the same thing. I went out and saw what the competition was charging for each plate. So if we had, um, I don't know, I'm just throwing out salads or chicken fingers or whatever it might be that someone's selling, how many do they put on their plate? What do they charge? And can I charge more? I never like to leave money on the table. And I don't, <clears throat> I don't think many businesses really look at others that much. They get themselves so concerned with their one business that they're in, but they don't look at what the competition's doing. Lots of times you're going to find money's left on the table um, that you didn't charge enough. You could charge more especially during this inflationary period we have in the United States, there's many opportunities. And and I I hear a lot of um, other companies similar to us in the entertainment industry. I just can't charge more. Why aren't you? You know, you're just going to give away your profits. You're just going to give, you're going to take a loss on this. No, you're going to go out of business. If you do that, you need to be profitable on every single transaction. 
you need to be staying ahead or at what the competition's doing and look at what the competition's charging or how they're doing it or how they might do it differently. And did you differentiate your product in any way that makes you stand out to your guests or your customers? Yeah. A lot of times people don't do that. You know, that's the difference where you can make much more money if you'll see what the competition's doing. That doesn't mean there's not times when there's pullback and you can't go over way over and above what the rest of the competition is doing. But you should always have a pulse on your competition mm. and you should always know what they're doing. But a lot of people are, are too afraid to do that or they become buddies with their competition. Look, they're out mm -hmm. for business, too. You should be as well. And a lot of people don't think about that. So I think that's one thing that I've always tried to bring in the business is, is well, what's the demographics? How are we differentiating ourselves? And are we leaving money on the table? Because you should never do that. Yeah, I love that. That's so good. Uh, let's get really practical because I think this is probably uh, my gut feeling says that 90% of listeners could probably do more of what you just said. Very rarely have I come across leaders who have a, a, a super clear pulse, even me and you know, in, in my in my um, consulting business, you know, I'll be, I'll be honest, this is, you know, it's resonating with me, I'm going, I, I, I probably haven't been in as intentional as I could have been in what you've just described. So really practically, how do you do that? I know it might sound like a silly question. But for those who haven't really done this before, <laughs> you know, what what do you what do you practically like? How do so, you do that, Tim? When you when, like, what are you what are you going and doing? Is it physically going? You know, what does that look like? So there's lots of ways, um, you know, so as a consultant, you're going to be testing and looking at what other consultants are charging out there, you're going to be even calling them up, you're going to uh, you know, play, play, play some roles a little bit. Try to see if you can figure out what they'll tell you. In my world, in the entertainment world, I'm going to go check what the pricing everyone else is doing. I'm going to go physically to those locations. I'm going to go act as if I'm having a great time in one of the facilities, but I am taking in everything that they have or haven't done at their location. Maybe they haven't charged enough for food. Maybe they don't charge enough for parties. Maybe Maybe the pricing's not quite the same way. Maybe they're selling it a little bit differently. If there's some great ideas, I'm going to steal it. I'm going to do whatever I can do or modify it my way. Um, if it was a food product, <clears throat> I'm going to bring in their food. I'm going to put it side by side to my food. How much are they giving in their quantity to my quantity? Um, I have certain goals yeah. And, and, yeah. and thresholds that I go after. But, hey, if someone's got a better widget that they're selling out there, I want to sell it the same way. Um, I'm going to... I'm going to you know, what, what's the best way, uh, best way of flattery is copying someone else, right? Um, so, you know, can you take a look at what the, guest, the guests, the customer's doing and emulate sim something similar? But can you also tweak it just a little bit more to set yourself apart? I'll give you an example. Uh, mm. When I was, uh, I, I worked for the former chairman and CEO of Applebee's. And um, he retired and had the Central Florida Applebee's. And there was a great man, another mentor figure like my father was in restaurants and franchising. Wonderful man passed away uh, 10, 12 years ago. Um, and he would look at different products and say, how do we make signature products? And he looked at waste products and created riblets for their menus based off of waste products that came off the, the, the cow or the pig sternum. No, and they were just right, throwing right. those pieces away and they created a whole new product that was a demand. After the demand was so strong, they started cutting up ribs to make these little riblets so they could sell it to folks. But the point by, the, by saying this is he saw something others didn't do. 
And that created demand for a different product by putting this out that way. So you can create products, you can be very similar to others, and you can also differentiate yourselves. It's what's called a signature item that only you can get certain places. Not everybody was doing it. A few people did try to copy mm. that, but you created a product out of waste. And it's quite unique when you think about it. But if you're gonna sell something similar to someone else, say um, uh, chicken fingers, uh, three chicken strips or four chicken strips and some fries, well, mm. bring in the competitors and mm. what, are, what are they charging dollar for dollar? Weigh what they're doing. They may give out more ounces or they may give out less ounces than you. So <clears throat> you have to compare this. So physically, eyes on in their place, physically bring the product into your facility and compare to your product. Um, you can do it multiple ways. <clears throat> so if you're in an industry that's consulting, well, what's your competitors doing? What's your, what are other consultants doing? How do you be, you know, again, don't leave money on the, don't leave money on the table. And then how do you differentiate yourself to stand out, to be better than others that people will pay that premium? That was one yeah. thing when I took over yeah. boomers that I went after was I want premium dollars from every guest. Well, to give you kind of an example, we went from a check average of $20, $30 per person to $55 is last week's average that we just had per person <laughs> in just from 2019 when they were bankrupt to where we are now in 2022. Wow. I don't leave money wow. on the table. Now, what does that mean? Well, that means that someone is paying a premium because they feel the experience is good enough. I'm going to pay more. Yeah, there, you know, people are paying a dollar when they come in the, into the location, regardless. But at the end of the day, you're looking for premium dollars. And why do you want that? Because you're looking for a more educated individual. If you're providing experience to someone, price never matters. If you don't provide the experience to someone a good experience, price, of course, matters. So the idea here is how do you provide the best experience possible for your price point that makes mm. the guest or the client say, I love this. I love what you're doing. And they'll pay yeah. they'll pay yeah. over what the, the, the going rate is out there. So the answer to your question is you have to go survey, survey the competition. You have to bring in maybe even some of their products, maybe buy a few of their products and say, how does it compare to mine? Um, compare it. What could you do differently? And how do you differentiate yourself? That's the key. That is so well articulated. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, like I said, I, the reason, one of the reasons I love that so much is because it's when you when you say it all, it's such it sounds like common sense. But I would really challenge myself and and our listeners to ask yourself: Have you physically gone and surveyed? If you're in a product industry, have you ordered the product and put it side by side? And I think so many people would go, "Well, well, no, I I haven't." And I loved the riblet story. It reminds me of. Um, I can't remember the book, but there's this great book about byproducts and, and basically saying what what are the byproducts of your organization and every organization has them. And um, but it starts with looking at what the competition are doing, putting it side by side, getting a real pulse. And, and, and then, like you said, where are we leaving money on the table? That's like a um, I feel like we could just take the past 10 minutes and put it in a um I, I know you're talking finance, but for me, I hear that and I see marketing and business development like 101 to grow a business. Um, I love it, Tim. That's that's so good. Uh, I want to ask you about Disney just because, you know, I, yeah. <laughs> you know, when you mentioned Disney, it, it is one of those companies where, like you, like you said, as you were unpacking it, where I think people's eyes light up, right? Talking about experience, what, what, what an organization. Um, 
what were the biggest lessons you learned from Disney? You know, it's funny. You, you don't realize the lessons when you're physically working there, but when you step away and you're working somewhere else, you realize what Disney did. So Disney had a very rich culture. So culture is obviously key. Um, that's something that I build into boomers as well. We have 10 core values that we live by to really create a different culture. But culture was one of those. It, it, Disney is, is very cult-like, um, uh, that the employees that work there love the place inside and out. And I will say that was probably the best place I ever worked at for the six and a half years that I was there. And But culture isn't just it. It's also details, the details that they did not overlook for guest service. And that's one of the things that I brought my team into. I actually have my, had my team go through Disney's Institute of Quality Service, my corporate team, as well as my park team, to really understand the difference. But it's a really about how do you deliver world-class service to the guests, an experience that they'll never forget, that you make eye contact, that you're smiling and you're talking to them. And one thing I teach my team is you leave your cares away when you walk out on stage. That was Disney's big thing. You're walking on stage every single time and you're giving the best experience possible. You're, you have mm. problems, you have down days, you have personal life, forget about it. For that time that you're out there with that guest, you make that guest experience as best as you possibly can. Um, yeah, obviously we all have pressures, we all have deadlines, we all have all kinds of things that we have to go through, <clears throat> but you need to focus on that guest. If you focus, on that guest, that guest is gonna have the best experience possible. They're gonna go tell their friends. That's where grassroots comes in, right? So they're gonna tell the next person and the next person and Disney's very good at this. I will say, you know, I've been to Six Flags, I've been to Cedar Fair, I've been to others, I've been to Universal, I've been to SeaWorld. No one does it like Disney. No one does the eye contact, the smiling, I'm gonna engage with you, I'm gonna to talk to the kids, I'm gonna get down to their level, I, you know, Disney, the idea with the characters when they see a young uh, child coming up, it's kind of like, how do they bend down maybe with them? How do they get close to them and to their eye level? When a, when a team member's talking to them, you're talking to them at the eye level. The idea here is experience, right? You're trying to make that person, that child feel special. And if you can get that across, they're gonna then go home and say, that was the best experience I've ever had. Of course, people have bad days, even at Disney. I've, I've experienced those too, in my parks as well. Um, but bottom line is, how do you make the world go away and you're focused on that individual? If you can make them feel special, mm -hmm. if you can make them feel great, and I don't care that if you're in a consulting business or you're in a food and beverage business or you're, in a, yeah. you're, you're selling cars or you're yeah. in manufacturing, how do you make that other person feels special because they remember that. So it's part of the culture, yes, Disney has, but it's also how do you create the experience like no other? And that's the difference on how do you get people to come back to you, one, you know, building volume and frequency, keep coming back, spending some more. That's what Disney's about. And, <laughs> and that's something I brought into what we do with Boomers is mm -hmm. how do I create a Disney-like experience for a fraction of the cost? You know, I don't have, I'm, I'm never going to aspire to be yeah. a, an amusement park or a theme park like we are. I do have water parks, but how do I create a great experience? You got to create good quality products, good quality food, you know, things of that nature. But at the end of the day, it, none of that matters if the experience is beyond belief. And that's what Disney does. The experiences that I remember, the people that I've met there, the leadership believed it from top to bottom. 
everyone from the CEO down to, you know, the hourly individual to the ride operator, food and beverage that I was in for a period until I got into finance with Disney. And you remember that experience more than anything. And you know, again, I said it a little earlier, like it's cult-like. People get so involved in it, you can't convince them to go anywhere else. They'll keep coming back. That is unbelievable. And that has been my experiences <laughs> with Disney. And that's what I try to bring into what we do with Boomers too. Yeah, incredible. What, a, what an amazing organization. Uh, the question that pops into my head straight away is everything you've described, so many other organizations, so many other leaders, so many other great leaders, and so many other great organizations have tried to emulate or, or do it in their own way. From your experience in six and a half years, what what sets Disney apart? How have they been able to consistently, like everything you described, is is not normal, and, and it's uh, and it's you know what, what is it what is it that they've done to actually be that you know next level up to so many you know particularly say thirty years ago, so many other organizations that probably were trying to do the same thing and just didn't make it. I believe, and I and I will say even Disney, I've seen them recently since I live here in Orlando, uh, Florida. Um, I've even seen the corporate team has strayed from their core values. And I think one of the core values, whether it's spoken or unspoken, is how to have everyone have a great fun time, you know, an exceptional fun time. And, you know, they, they've taken sides where they've haven't focused on everybody recently, but for the years that Disney's been around, I believe it's on their core values and their beliefs that they hand down to their team members. And it is from the CEO to the hourly staff. They understand what their role is and why they're doing it through core values. Some of the core values I've implemented in my company, maybe not the same as Disney necessarily, one of them is guest first, team first, which actually it's team first then I know they're going to take care of the guest to make the guest first. Part of its honesty and integrity and transparency. Everyone knows what's going on, at least in my organization. I feel Disney does a lot of that too. Um, you know, strategic relationships, strategic partnerships. There are folks that can help you get to your end goal and help enhance and build your business. I have 10 core values overall, innovative risk-taking and um, you know, profitable sales growth. But it does come back down to fundamentals and values that you believe in in your business. I believe those that are trying to emulate exactly what Disney does do not have the core values necessarily that everyone will fall back to. When the going gets tough, what do you fall back to your core values? This is how we operate our business. This is how we do this. When someone strays from that, you either get course correct them or you get them out of the business. You get them out of your, your team, off your, off your bus, so to speak. Um, so I think that is what's really held well. Now, does Universal and SeaWorld have some of those? I'll say yes and no. I've heard folks that have worked for those businesses and some do and some don't, meaning they're not consistent from park to park. But Disney seems to be consistent from all their parks on how they approach it. What I like to say to my team is you're going to get the same experience in Anaheim, California, Disneyland, as you will at the Magic Kingdom in Orlando, or if you're in Paris, you're going to get those same experiences. And that is what's held them on so long is because they've been able to instruct and teach that same process. They put people through 
training initially when they come on board to be indoctrinated into Disney and understand what Walt Disney stood for and the company stands for today. And that's the difference, I think, in stellar companies. Yeah, there's a lot of onboarding. You start a business, you, you want to follow certain things, and people come up with mission statements and objectives and so forth. But if you don't have values to fall back onto, I think that's the difference because you want to give something to someone that says, this is who we are. And if you don't believe that's who we are, well, unfortunately, there is another business down the road that you can go work for because they probably don't have this. But when you come to a boomers or you go to Disney, you have certain criteria that people will follow. And, and that's what holds true. And that's what I hold my team to as well. But it's no different than Disney. Mm. Disney holds those standards mm. as well. And they follow up on it to make sure people adhere to it. And at the end of the day, it's, like I said, it's a cult-like experience. But that's kind of part of it, right? You're following along with what the beliefs of Disney are. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, um, you know, the, the image that comes to mind for me is like a big construction site. And, um, you know, I was just going past one the other day here in Brisbane. And I always marvel at these massive construction sites where, you know, they're going to end up being so monumentally tall but of course when they start what do you see you see this humongous hole in the ground because they're building all the key foundation works and i think i think you hit the nail on the head the values piece authentic true values of an organization that you are ruthlessly consistent with which disney has done if you can nail those that's your underground piece and then you know, compare that to another building which just tries to build from the ground up without actually digging deep into those values. And of course, you're not going to have the same stability and you can't go as, as tall because you don't have the depth. And uh, and, and I, I really like how you articulated that because you can you can build up without values. You can get, but you will hit the ceiling um, because if it's not deeply embedded, then, then you will at some point, like you said, people are going to fall back on something at some point and you you need to you need to get that core right which i can hear you you're saying disney's done that and you and you're you've gone and now with boomers that's something you're wanting to build from day one exactly that was that was part of their employee handbook that's what i've implemented day one and i talk about it every week we have team meetings about this i you know when i do town hall type of meetings when i go out to the parks and meet with the the management and hourly staff we reinforce what the core values are we have it posted in different areas within break rooms uh, we have items that says you're now going on stage when you walk past this door um, very similar to disney in that respect but at the end of the day you're you're going to emulate that you either believe it or you don't and those that don't, well, they don't stay long usually. They find another place to go to. They don't want to adhere to what that might be. But this company will adhere to it. And Disney does the same thing. They do manage to migrate and move people on uh, when, when necessary to make sure that their core values hold because they know that is kind of fundamental and key to what they're physically doing. I, as I shared a little earlier, there is... There's been something recently where they, I think they've strayed a little bit from their core values in, in the state of Florida here, and that's hurt them a bit. That's hurt them in the community. That's hurt them with the groups that go to their parks. Now, has it hit, affected other parks? No, not necessarily, but <clears throat> that is the difference. You know, if you hold to your values, those things should never happen. That should never go that way. But when you side to a certain group, mm then you're, you're 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 taking sides right at the end of the day and you you've hurt somebody's feelings so mm. you, you know in my case anyone can come to boomers everyone is welcome 
I don't care which background you may have or where you've come from. If you've made money, haven't made money, whatever your background of authenticity is, I can't, you know, I'm not going to, I can't control that. And that's not what I'm worried about. I just want everyone to have fun. And that's kind of the key. That's what you got to be able to remember. Everyone still is here and everyone is welcome and everyone is to have fun. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, let's jump into Leadership Express. Uh, this has been so good, Tim, just absolute gold. I can't wait to uh, to share this with people. I think they're going to really enjoy it. Um, the first question I have in Leadership Express is a book. Do you have a, um, a book or multiple books that you gift to other people or that you find yourself recommending a lot? Um, there's always different circumstances. And I think it's just a matter of lots of different directions. In, in, in the case of my team, I, I'm, I'm big on quotes. So I give my team a lot of quotes. So there's a lot of folks that I've read over time um, and I provide them different pieces. But I will say there's a, always a fundamental. Um, it, it, Napoleon Hill, going back to Napoleon Hill, I use their quotes every single week with my team. But I'm always reading different things, whether it's Driven or John Maxwell. I mean, there's a lot of pieces and you just can't get one specific book to somebody and i try to bring in more elements of quotes on whether it's tony robbins or i'll do jc penny in the retail sector or i'll do henry ford or i'll do elon musk or i'll do steve jobs as a favorite you know i'll i'll go to many i'll say idols heroes whatever it might be and pull in different pieces from them and different quotes to make them think and how that ties to our core values. So there's there are so many different books that I could put put out there. But to me, it's also a matter of you can't just rely on one. I think you've got to rely on many to get a solidified opinion and help mold your your thought process. Um, you have to be able to think like an entrepreneur, like an Elon Musk or Steve Jobs or a Walt Disney and how he created the business. Um, to how do you fundamentally mold better leaders? And I'll pull from the likes of uh, Peter Drucker or uh, John Maxwell or others that are out there, you know, and, 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 and so many different books. I'm a very driven individual. I run marathons at 56. And, uh, you know, I want my team to, you know, let them know that it, no matter what you do, Adversity we might have, but adversity reveals character. I mean, I, I'm a marathon runner and I have rheumatoid arthritis. Um, and I will still go and I will never quit. I will always finish a marathon regardless. I don't care how long it takes me. Um, but I want my team mm -hmm. to understand you have to go the distance, no matter what you do in any course of life, you have to go out there and do more and continue to do more. And that's part of life to teach you the skills to keep growing and building. You know, during a pandemic, inflation, uh, bad times, you still keep going. You never quit. And I think it's just a matter of all these different influences is what someone needs. So is there a specific book? Yeah, I could probably give you one if you want to talk about one or two different things. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, I think it's about being well-rounded mm, and understanding yeah. different leadership yeah. skills, different businesses. You know, how did they build Home Depot? How did they build um, Starbucks? How did they build you know, uh, Apple? How did they build, how did Elon Musk do what he did? Um, you know, Mark Cuban and others that have gone out and created different businesses, you need that experience 
that bring back to your business because it's amazing how many things I read and mill on it. And all of a sudden there's something, there's a solution to your problem because I read that somewhere. I, if it's not, if I'm not reading yeah. something, I'm also yeah. listening to audio books quite a bit. You know, when yeah. I'm running, yeah, I do listen to a lot of rock yeah. and roll music from, from the eighties. But at the end of the day, um, I'm listening to different things that's keeping me apprised of what's going on and makes me rethink. I'll look at different politicians in the past, favorite politicians. What did they do? How did they do it? Um, why did they do it? Um, and so you have to be very well-rounded in business to be able to think a little bit and know that history repeats itself. So if you're looking at economics or you're looking at something on the finance side, well, you know, recessions happen and they happen often, not every day, but you need to be aware of it. And what are the things that start happening? Well, you know, real estate starts pulling back, the interest rates go up, you know, businesses start slowing down, you know, different things like that. What are you looking for? What do you need to be into and not into? What could you do to help preserve capital for your company? It's always a key. So I think the answer to your question is there isn't one, but there's many, many books to listen to and, and, and read. Yeah, I love that answer because I think it's um, I think it's a really valid uh, response to say actually rather than one thing always you know be looking for um, you know because then you can cross reference and then you, you know things will clarify or things will confirm oh yeah actually I've heard that three times before that 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 that's really interesting that right. it's backed up over here yeah I, I agree um, when it comes to morning routine this is something that I know a lot of people are really interested in. Are there any, is there anything for you that over time has proven, um, you know, key for you when it comes to morning routine as a leader? It's funny. Um, I read a lot about different leaders with certain morning routines. Now I'm a bit of a night owl. I will say that I, uh, I'm, I'm a lot of times up past midnight, one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning. So I might be getting up at 630. I'm pretty much punctual at getting up at 630 every day, um, depending on if I'm traveling and I have to get up earlier. Uh, but other than that, I tried as, as a CEO, you've got a lot of things coming at you. So I kind of leave a lot of time in the beginning to read a lot, to read a lot of publications in my industry. Um, a lot of articles, uh, things that might be going on, new opportunities, connecting with folks. I spend a lot of my morning based off of that. I try to not really schedule many meetings if I can help it. It's about 9 30, 10 o'clock. That's really when I can really focus because I've had a, a lot of information up to that point. Allows me to get going, I think, kind of at, at full full tilt and then go at it. But um, I, I think if there's a morning routine, it's more like 6.30 in the morning to get up. I do make breakfast for my wife every morning and then I go at it. Um, but uh, other than that, I think my best times really end up being later in the day. Now, a lot of yeah. people say, well, I need my sleep, I need my sleep, I need my sleep. Look, when you run as much as I do, my head hits the pillow, it's out. So um, <laughs> I haven't found that as an issue. Uh, so, you know, whether it's a four hour night's sleep or an eight hour night's sleep, it's kind of all the same. And I just start again at 630 the next morning, um, you know, depending on what's going on or what the circumstances might be. So not typical. I know a lot of people get up. Oh, well, I go work out. I do this. You know, my best running is in the afternoon, in the evening. Um, I have more energy, yeah. I believe, at that point. And um, I seem to perform better, even though all races that I've run are usually five, six o'clock in the morning. Um <laughs> 
that's the best time for me to train is in the afternoon, evening, because uh, I think I've gotten through the day and it kind of relieves my stress for the day, if you will. A lot of people say, well, you get up and you start running, it, it relieves your stress for the day. And I think actually if I've had a bad day, going for a good run relieves my stress. So. Yeah, yeah. No, there's some great thoughts in there. Uh, and just just the, the running is a really interesting part of that because I think, I know it's obvious, but I think um, when it comes to our morning, night routine, work, life integration, having something like that, that level of, of exercise can really help with, like you said, with sleep and with energy. And, and so, um, yeah, thanks for unpacking that, Tim. One-on-one uh, -on -one meetings. This is another question that a lot of leaders uh, wrestling with is how do I run a great one-on-one -on -one meeting with my, um, you know, with the people I'm leading? A any advice? Um, yeah, I think there's different components to it. So what I do, you know, because I have direct reports to me, my senior team, <clears throat> I, I have a, you know, I, I said, look, keep everything to one page. Whatever you're working on, I want one page, whether it's current projects, media projects, whatever it might be. I want to know from marketing, from HR to operations to finance, one page. That's all I want to see. You're going to update it weekly. You're going to leave things on there. So now I have a page that I can go by whenever I'm not talking to someone. I have a specific time. It's only 30 minutes a week. But of course, I have other meetings with people, uh, same people over time. But every week I have a consistent time that I go over, well, what's going on in your projects? What's going on in your list? I prefer one-on-one -on -one when possible. Now, we have, or I've chosen, to not have a corporate office in this business. When we took over the business, the previous bankrupt company had a corporate office spending like $50,000 a month for this ivory tower. And I said, you know, we don't need it. I've got people in Northern California, Southern California, New Jersey, Florida, Maine. I don't need this office. I would rather be one-on-one -on -one with them in the park. I want them to see and understand what I look at. I always look at everything from the lens of the guest. What does a guest see? I've sat everywhere a guest can sit in every one of my parks. I've stood wherever a guest could be. I walk normally where the guests are at. And I want to meet my team out there so they can see what I see. You know, it's, it's not beneath me to bend over and pick up trash in a parking lot or in, the, or in the park. I want my team to see that I will do it too and they should as well. I want to display to them, you know, what they should and shouldn't do with guests and, and smile and talk and connect. And you know the idea there is I want my team to meet with me on those bases. The rest of the time I'm doing team or Zoom, uh, team, Microsoft team meetings or Zoom meetings that I have this regular dialogue. I'm reviewing what they're doing. I'm always staying on top of it. You know, I think it was, it was um, President Ronald Reagan in the United States had said, um, you know, you need to trust your team, but verify. You need to always trust them to do their job, empower them to do their job, but always verify. Mm. So mm. that's what I try to do too. I want them to do their job the way they want to, the way they feel best. But I always want that conduit of give me 30 minutes each week, give me an update with a one pager that I can hold with me and I can refer back to during the week if I needed to. And it also helps me with my own, you know, the board that I have to report to, uh, the ownership team. Yeah. But I want, yeah. I want my team to know they can do what they need to do and I empower them to do their job. And I want them to feel comfortable enough to go execute their job. They don't have to bother with me with all the little details. I do want to know about the details. I do want to know that, you know, the details are very important. So I want to trust them, but I want to verify that they're going to get it done. Because that's my job. It's my responsibility. I'm the CEO. This is all my responsibility. And I want to know what they're doing, but I want to give them the opportunity 
to be held accountable and be responsible for their jobs. And so as a leader, I love the one-on-one -on -one connection. I was just with my vice president of operations at a trade show down in mm. South Florida uh, this past week, and we had a little one-on-one -on -one time, which was very productive. And I got to you know, get him to understand the way I think, and I get to understand more the way he thinks too. It builds that rapport, builds that connection, but I don't have to be on top of him every single day. I don't have to be you know, constantly contacting. I don't need to be looking over his shoulder. I can know that he's gonna be getting what he needs to get done in his area. Same with marketing, same with HR, same with finance. I wanna give them guidance. I wanna mm. you know, verify mm. what they're doing, and I wanna let them roll. Let them do what they need to do and let them do it best. If I'm micromanaging them, well, then I'm not doing my job. You know, that's not that's not my yeah. job. I, I should never be micromanaging. I'm never going to be a type A personality would do this this way. You need to give them the freedom to fly and hopefully they'll fly straight. <laughs> uh, they start course. If they start going <laughs> off course, you course correct them, you know. But yeah. uh, the bottom line is let, give them the opportunity, have the one on one time. And I've I found the biggest success that I've had in my career is to focus. I cannot stand it in any company I've ever been when the leader or subordinate thinks their phone is more important to see the text that comes along, the email that pops up, or the Facebook or whatever it is that they're looking at. I'm focusing. My phone's down. You know, I will only take a call from my wife and usually my phone does not ring. Um, I hardly ever get calls from my wife. She knows when and where I'm going to be, and there's a time and a place for everything. And I hope and expect my team understands that too. I cannot stand it when someone is constantly checking their phone. Um, I know my boss does that with me, but he's also running 152 companies for a private equity firm, so I kind of get that. But the bottom line is <laughs> when I'm with someone else, I expect that I'm that they should expect that I'm going to give them 100% attention and and yeah. I should expect that they're going to give me 100% attention and then we're mm. going to connect really fast and we're going to get through things pretty fast mm. that is the difference where there's a lot of people multitasking oh I can multitask I can multitask I can do this I can do that you really can't yeah. you need mm. to focus on every single task and I'll even say Elon Musk has recently came out and said that with all the businesses he's running you know that's what you do you multitask you're, you've lost. You you focus on that business. You know when he's dealing with the, the 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 rockets that he's doing, or he's dealing with Tesla, he is focused. You know he is focused in that two three hours. He's allotted for it. Then he's on to the other business. That's what you have to do. If I'm dealing with marketing, I'm dealing with HR. Yeah. I want to give them a hundred percent of my attention so that I'm hearing things correctly. Because if you're not and you're playing with your phone, you're only hearing a percentage. Whatever that percentage is, you're not hearing everything that needs to take place. And that's what a good leader needs to do is pay attention to them. And that does what? That builds rapport with your team. And they believe in you more with whatever you say. And they're following along more because you've given them the time of day when maybe others maybe not have done that in the past. So. Yeah, so well said. Uh, last question for you, Tim. We could we could talk. I could ask questions all day. I could listen all day. You, you're um you're, yeah. It's really I've really enjoyed it. It's uh, it's been it's been very rich um, conversation. Last question: If you could only give one piece of leadership advice to a young leader, what would you say to them? There's a lot of pieces, of course. Um, one piece, and I'm, I'm going to go back to my last answer. Um, Focus. Focus on what you're doing. 
There's so many people mm. that say they can multitask, they can do multiple things, but at the end of the day, when you're a jack of all trades, you're a master of none. So yeah. focus on what you do, yeah. add that skill, then go on to the next. Focus really hard, understand something inside and out. If you can get the focus to it, you'll be the leader that you want to be because you're going to be able to take those skills to another level and you're going to be able to take it on and do more things for the company you're working for or the company you may own eventually. Yeah, what what great advice. Um, for those who've really enjoyed today, how can people connect with you on social media, online, and also find out more about Boomers Parks, Tim? Sure. Um, you can always go to Boomers Parks, and I'll spell it out, www.boomers, B-O-O-M-E-R-S, Parks, P-A-R-K-S dot com, boomersparks.com. So you can see our family entertainment centers. You can see our our um, water parks as well. Uh, if you want to connect with me, it's real simple. Tim at boomersparks.com. Uh, or you can connect with me on LinkedIn. I have two different LinkedIn accounts when you look me up. I have two different Facebook accounts too, for that matter. On LinkedIn, I actually maximize one of my accounts with too many connections. And so I set up another one for entertainment, food and beverage, restaurants, things of that nature. So but people are welcome to connect with me wherever they can. So. Wonderful. Well, I want to thank our listeners. What a what a fun episode and just uh, so much gold. I, I, I feel like I need to go back and listen to it again, particularly some of the um, around demographics. And, and uh, yeah, it was just it's just been amazing, really. Um, don't forget for our listeners, I also have the John O'White Leadership Podcast and the Leadership Question of the Day podcast that you can check out to continue to grow in your leadership. But I want to finish today by saying a massive thank you to you, Tim, for being so generous with your time. Um, like I said, for sharing such gold and it's honestly been, um, probably one of my favorite episodes, um, and, uh, and for being so much fun to, to spend time with. Thanks for coming on the podcast. John, I really appreciate you having me on. It's been a lot of fun too, talking. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast as much as I did. If you're joining us for the first time, don't forget to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there, including our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from all over the world in all different roles, in different industries, answer these seven questions on leadership and leaders give these in-depth answers around how they spend their time, uh, a book that's been significant for them. It's just a gold mine. It's completely free to access. So go to consultclarity.org and look for that. We'd also love to interview you about your leadership. I believe your experience, your life, your context means that you have advice on leadership that other leaders can learn from. Yes, you, if you're going, not me. Well, no, I really believe you would have something to add. So if you're looking for a way to give back, it's completely free to get involved. And we would love to interview you through the seven questions on leadership. You just go to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest or Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form and get involved. 
We have a free resource on our website called the Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook, 10 world-class leaders giving their thoughts on leadership, and that's completely free. It's available on our homepage, consultclarity.org, right at the top. So make sure you go and get that and download it today. And we have a free daily email that you can subscribe to. We send this out to over 15,000 leaders from around the world. And uh, it contains the highlights of content from our podcasts, our blogs, um, our books, books we're reading. It's got the best content and it gives you exclusive, limited early access to our masterclasses, workshops, new products, special offers. It's all for our subscribers. You can go to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe and join 15,000 other leaders. And you know, my gift to you is to work really hard, particularly through the Leadership Conversations podcast. I have been blown away by the quality of the leaders and I'm learning as much as anyone in doing these interviews. So I'm having a great time. And my gift to you is to keep lining up the best leaders I can to invest in your leadership. Your gift to me, if you're finding this helpful, there is something that you could do that would help us out massively. And that is to write a review and to leave a rating for our podcast or wherever you're watching or listening to this. I can't tell you how much that helps us out. Also subscribe or follow. It really does make a difference in helping us to help more leaders become everything they're meant to be. Another thing that means a lot to me personally is when I see our community share our content. So if you do share this or any other piece of content on social media, then thank you and and please do that. And look for me, John O'White, or clarity and tag us in your post. Our team is always looking for posts to engage with from our community. And there's also a chance that we'll share your content uh, to go beyond and share it with our followers. Last of all, you can check out my book. It's called Step Up or Step Out, How to Deal with Difficult People Even If You Hate Conflict. I wrote this book because 50% of the coaching sessions I have with leaders, this topic comes up again and again and again. And it's this idea of how do I have this difficult conversation? How do I lead this person better when I'm finding them difficult? Or in some cases you look and you say, I think I might be leading a difficult person. They're just quite difficult to lead or I'm finding them quite difficult to lead. So there's a three-step process that I unpack in step up or step out. And the amazing thing, and I've literally done this myself, and I've heard it anecdotally from other leaders as I've coached them, is that if you follow this process, you will see that person step up and change their behavior or make a decision, which is to step out some of the time. Uh, 95% of the time, people will step up or step out in just four weeks. And I stand by that. It's uh, You have to read the book to understand, but uh, I really do believe in it, and I've experienced it firsthand. It works. So you can go to Amazon, look up Step Up or Step Out John O. White or store.consultclarity.org forward slash book. Well, thank you so much for listening. We're going to be back with a new episode next time of the Leadership Conversations podcast. And I hope today has helped you to take another step towards becoming the leader you're meant to be. See you next time.